Have you ever felt like you were drowning? Perhaps it was a real drowning experience, maybe a vivid dream. But we often use this metaphor to talk about what life's circumstances can be like. Uh, Circumstances in life seem to make the ground beneath our feet like liquid. And the waters rise. We desperately try to stay afloat. To keep our heads above water, thinking that at any moment we might go under for the last time. I think this feeling is all too common. I would have said that a year ago. But given how many months we've now been in this pandemic, I think we see the signs everywhere that people feel like they are sinking. Are you in over your head? Do you feel like you're sinking? If that's you, stick with me. But first, uh, we've heard the story about Peter and Jesus and the boat and the storm But let's find out if you are really listening. Uh, If you want to play along, you can go to kahoot.it. And I believe the code should be here, 869-3671. If you go to kahoot.it on your mobile device or computer, you can enter the code 869-3671. And you can play along. And as you're signing in, let me just introduce you to... Uh, The series that we're in, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're in a series called Believe. And there's a book that goes along with helps you reading through what we're reading, uh, which is all about the story of the Bible. And it's our effort to become more like Jesus. So books are available. If you don't have one, uh, if you would like one, just reach reach out to us, send us a message, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And today we are talking about single mindedness. Okay, so this is the key question for this week's topic. How do I keep my focus on Jesus amidst distractions? And the Believe book says it this way, if I focus on God and his priorities, or I focus on God and his priorities for my life. Okay, our key verse is this, Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Hopefully everybody uh, here joining us and any of you joining us at home will be able to have signed into our Kahoot. Now, let's go. Okay, question number one. How many times does Jesus walk on water? So not including multiple accounts of the event. How many times does Jesus walk on water? Okay, you've got answers once, twice, Three times or four times? You can go ahead and enter your best answer on this. But did you know that the same event can appear in the Bible many times? Sometimes a single event can be shared two or three times by different authors, and each author will draw out different themes from that event. Um, Significant events are often also put into poetry, And those might appear in the Bible, in the prophets, or the Psalms, but they have to do with historical events that appear other places in the Bible. And cross-references are a great way to understand really what's going on and uh, all of that. So you can do deep dives when you're studying the Bible on different themes, events, or characters, and get a more clear picture of what is happening. And the different spiritual lessons that we can learn. Okay, how many times does Jesus walk on water? Once. Way to go. 43 of you said once. Okay. 
Uh, that's awesome. Now, we're going to carry on and see how we do with question two. Which gospel writer doesn't include the account of Jesus walking on the water? Okay, you've got four options, the four gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Which one of those four gospel accounts does not include this particular story of Jesus walking on the water? You can go ahead and answer uh, your best answer. And uh, did you know that, again, each gospel writer is known for a specific writing style or a certain intent with their gospel? They are not contradictory. Rather, each one is set to accomplish a certain purpose. They are written with different audiences in mind or categorize different events um, differently. Uh, They're not necessarily in chronological order. That wasn't their objective. Again, they're trying to share uh, the gospel from a specific uh, point of view uh, and to a specific um, audience. So omitting some events, um, including others compared to the other gospels. But this doesn't, again, make them incompatible or contradictory. So it's helpful to read them. They're each unique as you're going through all of these different things. But just so you know, again, you can do that kind of thing with cross-referencing again. And that can be helpful Bible study. Okay, here we go. Which one doesn't include it? Uh, Everybody guessed? John, it's actually Luke that doesn't include it. So Luke is the right answer there. Um, Again, different themes. If you were to guess, Luke is the guy who's usually most, including most events. He's the one one who did lots of research and study and put it into writing his particular gospel. Mark's is the shortest. John's is one that's unique compared to the others because he didn't really collaborate in the same way that the other three did. Uh, So again, lots of variation, but they're not incompatible or contradictory. They're each just coming from their own perspective with a certain purpose. So we can trust them. Okay, question number three. Are you ready for this one? When Jesus and Peter got back in the boat in the story, the storm was immediately calm. True or false? Or both true and false? Or all of the above? Now, if it's been a, it's been a minute or two since we heard the story, hopefully you remember this detail, but if you didn't, that's okay. Um, true or false, it, again, it's supposed to be a 50-50, but I, wanted, I knew I could challenge you folks. So I added extra difficulty in adding these questions. Four possible answers to this true and false question, okay? True or false, what do you think? That the storm was immediately calm as soon as Jesus and Peter got back in the boat. True or false, okay. We have answers in. Here we go. So, most of you said true, and which of course it is. Uh, That's great, but good guesses all around. This is wonderful to see. True or false? It was, in fact, true that the storm was immediately calm when they got back into the boat. Okay, this last question is a bit of a trick question, so watch out. This is not, only, um, this is not the only time in the New Testament where Jesus calms a storm. All right, so Jesus, so listen carefully to this, to the possible answers. How many storms does Jesus calm? One storm? Two storms, three storms, or all of them? Go ahead and enter your best answer. Okay, that again. How many storms does Jesus calm? One storm, two storms, three storms, or all of them? Okay, so are we ready for this? So Jesus walked on water once, as far as we know from the gospel accounts. He may have done it other times. And it wasn't recorded. John's gospel said it would be impossible to put all of Jesus, 
uh, that all that Jesus did into words. So John 21, 25, this is the end of his gospel. He says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Okay, but however, John's point wasn't that there's lots that isn't written about Jesus or about the gospel, in the Gospels, but that, in fact, everything we need to know is written down for us. The Gospel truth is in a handful of pages. The power to change a single life, or perhaps change the world, all there in the Bible's pages. I might even be so bold as to say that it might be just in one Gospel, or even just a handful of verses. But I'm so grateful that we have all of the Scripture here to teach and to guide us. If you live your life from a biblical worldview, you bring thousands of years worth of spiritual lessons, history, and perspective into whatever moment you're in. I'm grateful for every word. There's no other book like it. Okay, so the final trick question, of course, was all of them. The answer is all of them. Now, how many storms does Jesus call? The answer, all of them. Not every storm is immediately calmed, but every storm that is calmed is calmed by him. Now the storm that the disciples were in was no metaphor. It was real water, real wind, real rain, or lightning. Well, it doesn't mention lightning, but perhaps there was. The text doesn't say, but it was enough of a storm to worry these fishermen familiar with being on the water. There they are out in the water and seemingly stuck. They didn't make much progress. See, Jesus had time to dismiss the crowd of you know, thousands of people being fed. He dismisses the crowd, and then he has time to go up on a mountain and pray, and they're still kind of out there stuck, not making progress across the lake. He has enough time to catch up to them by walking, so they are really in a sticky situation. Now, not only are they nervous about the storm, but something supernatural happens. It freaks them out. Most of them don't assume it's Jesus coming. They assume instead that it's some kind of evil spirit. Some other fishermen who didn't make it across the lake the last time there was a storm. But Jesus speaks to them, and he assures them it's him. Now this next part fascinates me. Without any prompting, Peter adds it up in his mind, if Jesus can walk on water, I can walk on water. This, right here, this thought is perhaps even more remarkable to me than Jesus walking on water. I don't know if he arrived at that idea with you know, righteous intentions or if it was selfishness or pride, but he adds it up and says, whatever Jesus do, does, I will do. See, at that point, Jesus was performing miracles. He was gathering large crowds and speaking to them and also walking on water. Maybe Peter only had that in mind at this point, but Jesus goes on to be hated, despised, beaten, and killed. See, even then, Peter really didn't change his mind. Ultimately, he said, whatever Jesus does, I will do. And he went on, Peter went on to perform miracles, to address thousands, and he even died on a cross. Whatever Jesus does, I will do. See, eventually Peter saw the risen Christ. Um, a man that was dead but was now alive again. And when Peter died on the cross upside down, his request actually was that he not be crucified in the same way, but instead on an upside down cross. That was his idea. He didn't want to be crucified that way because, again, he saw the glory of Jesus. 
But uh, he went on to do all of these same things. Whatever Jesus does, I will do. That's incredible faith. And again, he saw the resurrected Jesus and went on to live uh, a life eternal. But there, standing in the boat, he calls out and he says, Tell me to come and I'll come out on the water. Now, if you were an evil spirit, again, kind of out there, a ghost, tormenting um, fishermen at night, you know, causing a ruckus, whatever, Peter's making it too easy for him, isn't he? What do you think an evil ghost fisherman would say to someone who said, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water? He's going to say, come, right? But it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. And Peter sees him, hears his voice, and he hops out of the boat. Uh, someone was saying earlier that it's likely that they didn't really know how to do uh, swimming, even though they worked in a trade that had to do with water. See, when I was a kid, I did uh, swimming lessons. And even though I don't, don't swim very good, I could survive for a little while if I hop out of a boat. But it's likely that Peter didn't have swimming lessons. And he hops out of the boat, even though it might mean his death. He puts his entire trust in Jesus. So out he goes, placing his life solely in the hands of Jesus. And the other disciples can't bear to watch. They're frozen with fear. Or perhaps they just say, nice knowing you, Peter. Suddenly he's standing there. Just a note to say again, the boat is not going fast enough and these waters are not calm enough to do barefoot skiing. I've seen that happen. I know that's possible. And there's not a sandbar that Jesus kind of saw from up on the mountain and thought, oh, I have a funny idea. I'll just kind of walk out there and surprise the boys. This is real water. There they are standing there on the water. He's doing the impossible, bold with faith in Jesus. And then what happens? He starts to sink. See, one moment he's seeing Jesus walking on the water and saying, whatever Jesus does, I will do. And the next, he's looking at the storm. See, nothing really changed in the circumstances that Peter was in. There was a storm before he came up with the idea, I'm going to get on the water. There was a storm when he was calling to Jesus. There was a storm when he heard Jesus say, come. There was a storm when he hopped out and stood on the water. None of the circumstances had actually changed, but his focus had. He was no longer looking at Jesus. He was looking at the storm. And this storm was not a metaphor for Peter. It was wet and windy and literally threatening his life. Now, as he goes down, he cries out. But he doesn't just cry out and say, hey, John, bring the boat quickly. When he's heading under, he cries out, Lord, save me. So you, you are likely not in a literal storm, though we've had some windy days lately. Take a minute and think, what is your storm? This pandemic has caused all kinds of grief for many people. It's affected all of us in some way. Perhaps long before that, you were already in some kind of storm. And this has only made it worse. See, relationships right now are strained. People are on edge, fearful, exhausted, frantically trying to cope through entertainment, various substances, or whatever means they can. See, you likely see it everywhere too. The people are starting to crack. Circumstances in life are less than desirable for many of us. You're cold, you're wet, you're tired, you're terrified, and you're not getting anywhere. See, I don't know what your circumstances are, but right now, Jesus is approaching you. That might scare some of you. Jesus is approaching you. 
And he's saying, take courage. I'm here. It's me. Right in the middle, he's asking, do you trust me or are you staying in the boat? See, the boat can't speak to the waves. Even if it could, the waves don't have to obey the boat. See, most seas swallow boats whenever they get the chance. But Jesus stands on the sea as if it were solid rock. And when Jesus speaks, the storm is over. See, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus is right there to save him. See, I don't know what your storm is, but he's right there to save you. Some of you, through fear, um, won't cry out because you're fearful. You won't cry out to him. Maybe it's actually pride that will keep you from calling out. Peter called out. And because Jesus was right there, Peter was saved. Jesus asked a very simple question. Why did you doubt? See, if, if you feel like you're sinking, if you feel like you're drowning, if you're treading water, desperately trying to stay afloat, it's likely that you need to answer that same question. Why did you doubt? See, maybe your doubts are many, and you've had them for a long time. Maybe not. Maybe you have been trying to follow the Lord um, recently, but still, there's doubters all throughout this story. At the end of the story, it highlights there's people who still doubted. Even after seeing many of them, Jesus raised from the dead, and he's ascending to heaven. It says there were some that still doubted. Perhaps that's you. We actually don't hear Peter's answer to that question. Why did you doubt? We don't get to hear his reason. He calls to Jesus the storm is calmed. And then the disciples bow down and worship. See, when you're in a storm, make worship your norm. Oh, cheesy rhyme. But maybe that will help it stick. When you're in a storm, make worship your norm. See, when we worship Jesus, we see him more and more clearly. When we worship, our focus is on him. On who he is. On what he's done. If you're in a storm, put your eyes on him and don't take them off. The key verse again was this. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. It's the keystone thing. The keystone habit. Focus your eyes on him. And you'll be a better parent or a better spouse. A better employee. You'll be able to serve your neighborhood, your community better if you put your eyes on him. If you look around and you see that there needs to be change, but instead you are focused on only that or those circumstances or the avenues in which you think you can bring change and not on his kingdom, it'll again, it'll just bring you grief and grief to wherever you go. You'll just carry a storm wherever you go. But if you focus on him, all of these other things begin to fall in place. So, maybe you're listening today. You've never cried out to Jesus. Your focus has gone back and forth from wind to waves, the wind and waves of life. And maybe you're starting to even lose hope. Can I invite you to call out to him? It's a simple prayer you can pray with me. We can all pray this together. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus, my Lord and Savior. 
Now help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you make a decision like that, we would love to hear about it. If you decide for the first time that you want to follow Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you, and we would love to also support you in making this decision stick in your life in a meaningful way, give you tools and resources, and better yet, we want to just get connected with you, have friendship and relationship with you, and go on this journey with you. Now, another story from the Believe reading from this week came from Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's a story about a huge army had come to wipe out the nation of Judah. If you haven't read it, please get a copy of Believe and read it. Here's kind of the bottom line. An army is coming. They go to prayer and they call out to the Lord. And the king says these words in his prayer. This is chapter 20, verse 12 of 2 Chronicles. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, I'm not sure. Maybe there's something that's coming at you. It feels like a battle. You don't know what to do. But here this king says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Moments later, after this simple prayer, the word comes from the Lord to someone in their midst. And they were given this encouraging word. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Whatever storm you're in, whatever battle you're fighting, don't be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours, but God's. See, that doesn't make you totally passive. Right after hearing these words, these encouraging words, they were given the instructions for what they were supposed to do. They were told to take up their positions. They were instructed what to do. Take up your positions, stand firm. And after hearing these words, the people fell down, just like the disciples, and worshipped the Lord. If you're in a storm, make worship your norm. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Can you focus on him. A great place to, the start, or to start this, I believe, is simply the cross, the simple elements of the gospel, that there was a God who made us, that he loved us and wanted to have relationship with us, but because of sin, we were separated from him, and a lot is going wrong in our world because of that sin. But from the very beginning, God had a plan. Jesus would come. He would live the life that we should have lived. And then he would die the death that we should die. And instead, he will give us his righteousness and invite us into eternal, abundant life. Focus on the cross. Focus on Jesus demonstrating his love for you. That he would die in your place for your sin. That he would invite you into that abundant life. He is a Lord, a Savior who wants to come and and save and lift us. He's right there wanting to pull us up out of our storm. Can I pray with you as we close? Lord Jesus, I know that so many of my uh, friends here with me now are um, facing different kinds of storms in life and circumstances are like water coming up uh, and overwhelming us. And uh, maybe we've tried 
uh, a number of different kinds of boats in the storm, different methods of paddling or whatever it might be. All of the ways that we try to cope, all the ways that we try to save ourselves. And uh, Lord, we, we want to stop that. We want to realize that um, we are powerless, like the king said. We're powerless. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we focus on you, as we seek your kingdom, that again we would see your kingdom unfold and all of the blessings of the kingdom would come to us, but also through us to other people, that we would see transformation in this world. Father, we pray against the hopelessness that many people might have simply because of the season that we are in. We pray that as we seek your kingdom, your kingdom's blessings would flow from this church through our people and many other places, other churches and other people who are seeking your kingdom and that that would come and that there would be an incredible wave of blessing and peace that would come into our city, into our area. We pray for those things. We long for those things. And Father, we know that you have great plans in the middle of all of this. You have great plans for each one of us. Good plans for each one of us. Great and good plans for this church. And so, Lord Jesus, our eyes are on you. We wait to hear your word of direction and encouragement for each one of us. In your name we praise. Amen. And just before you go, uh, Pastor Steve is going to come. He has a few things to share with you this morning.